0: in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Nehemiah, chapter 7. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney.
1: Now don't get me wrong. We are commanded, are you listening? We are commanded to keep our hearts. Philippians 4, 7 makes that clear to us, that we are to keep our hearts. But the Bible also says that we are, um, that, that God keeps our heart, and the Bible says that we're to keep our hearts. Philippians 4, 7 says that God keeps our heart. And the Bible also tells us that we are to keep our heart. As a matter of fact, I might even go as far as to say there's no responsibility greater put on your shoulders than that of the believer in keeping their heart. Now, let me give you five reasons. I want you to write them down quickly. I don't have a slide for them as to why you should guard your heart. Number one, because Christianity is a matter of the heart. Did you know that? Christianity is a matter of the heart. The word guard means to guard diligently against the enemy. To regulate with careful discipline. To maintain with proper supplies. That's what the word guard means. Christianity is a heart matter. If our hearts are not right, your life won't be right. Did you hear me? I'm going to say that again. If your heart's not right, your life won't be right. If your heart's not right, your life will be full of bitterness and hatred and malice and gossip and contention if your heart's not right. Christianity is a matter of the heart. Secondly, you need to guard your heart because your heart is extremely valuable. You guard things of worth. You don't guard garbage. You put garbage out. I put my trash out every Tuesday and I put the recyclables in a recyclable bin. I just want want y'all to know I'm echo friendly. (laughs) You guard your heart because it's the essence of who you are. It's your authentic self and the core of your being. It's where all your dreams and desires and passions live. It connects you to God. So guard your heart because it's extremely valuable. Number three, your heart is the source of everything you do. Write it down. Solomon said it's the wellspring of life. Your heart overflows into your thoughts, into your words, into your actions. It impacts everything about you. If your heart is unhealthy, everything will be unhealthy. Guard your heart because it's under constant attack. Write it down. Christian, you are living in a combat zone. We just talked about it. The Christian life is a battleground not a playground satan would love to tear down the walls of your life satan would love to tear down the walls of your heart so guard the walls of your life and if they're torn down you have a problem again if you need a great study do a study of the heart let me give you some observations that um, i want to give you I actually only had four reasons for the heart but I'll put the other one in observation. (laughs) I'll give you some observations about the heart, and maybe you want to write these. Just things I was just sitting around, just sitting there today, just thinking about the heart. Things regarding the heart. Like this. Keep your heart full. Keep your heart full of God. Keep your heart full of heaven. Keep your heart full of Jesus. Keep your heart full of the cross. Keep your heart full of eternity. A full-hearted person is a powerful person. Keep your heart full of the love of God. If you keep your heart full of the love of God, you'll be filled with the fullness of God. Here's one for you. Keep your heart pure. You need to... Keep your heart pure, because if your heart's not pure, your life won't be pure. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are, what, saints? Pure. Whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. That's what I was doing today, just meditating on the heart. Keep it full, keep it pure, keep it loyal, write it down. We need to be sure that we aren't serving two masters. We need to be sure we, our affections aren't divided with anyone or anything. It's Christ and Christ alone. Can everybody from over here, so over there, say amen. amen. It is Christ and Christ alone. I'll wait while you clap. Matthew 6:24. No man can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You can't serve God and mammon. Keep your heart. Loyal to God. James 1.18 tells us a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways because you can't serve two masters. It isn't a question of choice. It's a question of possibility. I've told you that. Jesus is saying it's simply impossible to serve mammon and serve God. And if you think that you're serving two masters, you're fooling yourself. It can't be done. You can only have one master at a time. So give your heart to Jesus alone. Have a loyal heart to Jesus Joshua 24, 15, and if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Keep your heart loyal to Jesus. Can my saints, my brothers, my sisters say amen? Amen. Keep your heart soft toward God and toward one another. Again, these are just my musings on thought, on, on the heart. Keep your heart soft to God and toward God and toward one another. The Bible has so much to say about one another. I could keep you all night. Philippians 4, 5, write it down. Let gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. First Peter 3, 8 through 9. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, tenderhearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil, reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing knowing that you are called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility of mind consider one another better than yourself. Paul and Peter is talking about love and unity and oneness and one-mindedness. Do you realize the Bible is filled with one another's? Comfort one another, admonish one another, forgive one another, don't lie to each other, submit to one another, sing praise songs to one another. Hey, just walk up to somebody and just start singing praise songs to one another. They'll be like, Stop it, my ears are bleeding. But do it, the Bible says, Do it, sing praise songs to one another. We are members of one another. Don't devour one another. Give each other a holy kiss when you see one another. Keep a tender heart toward one another. Love the church. Be excited for the church. Is anybody listening? Love and rejoice when people give their lives to Christ. Rejoice at the baptism this coming Sunday. Come and support one another. I read this and loved it. If you live in a graveyard too long, you'll stop crying when someone dies. If you live in a graveyard too long, you'll you'll stop crying when somebody dies. You got to keep your heart right. That's why when somebody gets saved, rejoice. Do it. Even if you don't feel like it, do it. Cause you don't want to live in a graveyard. Oh well, it's just somebody getting saved. Oh why? Wow. it's a joyous moment. The heavens, the angels rejoice in heaven over one person that gives their life to Christ. And we see somebody giving life, and it's like, oh well, whatever, whatever. You're living in a graveyard. You stay there long enough, and Christianity will just start to get. Oh. tell you something. Pastor Rodney do everything he can to keep myself excited for Jesus. Amen. Yes, I do. Is there one witness here? Anybody? I, I Anything I got to do, I'd keep myself excited. For th- yes, sir. Because I don't want to be in a graveyard. I, I can't. I can't be bored like that. I can't. So keep your heart tender toward one another. Keep your heart hey, generous. Second Corinthians eight, nine, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich yet for your sakes, he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. So you be generous because he was generous. Well, notice in verse four, go back to Nehemiah with me, if you will, and look at verse four and five. Now the city was large and spacious, but the people in it, were what? Few. And the houses were not rebuilt. Then my God put it into my heart to gather the nobles, the rulers, and the people that they might be registered by genealogy. And I found a register of the genealogy of those who had come up in the first return and found written in it These are the people of the providence who came back from Babylonian captivity of those who had been carried away, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away and who returned to Jerusalem and Judah, everyone to his own city. Those who came with whose saints? Zerubbabel were all these folks. Let us leave. (laughs) (laughs) Nehemiah kept his heart right before God. The building, the walls were rebuilt. Nehemiah still wanted to see how he could be a blessing to the people of God and the city of God. He noticed that there weren't many people living there, and there were also many abandoned houses, and Nehemiah wanted Jerusalem to grow and prosper. But before that could happen, he needed to know who he had already. So in verse 6 through 73 is a list of names taken in the census. And this is the same list from Ezra of all who were in Jerusalem. Now, again, if you want a sleep aid, then pull out Nehemiah 7, start at verse 6, and I guarantee you, you'll be fast asleep, snug as a bug in a rug. Guarantee it. Now, I'd like to draw your attention to verse 39. Look at verse 39 with me, if you will. The priest, we find the priest listed. And then in verse 44, the singers are listed. In verse 45, the porters are listed. In verse 46, the nethinims, they are the guys that served and helped the Levites. They were like the assistant pastors, if you will. They helped the priest, they were the assistants. In verse 57, the children of Solomon's servants. Interesting, the children of Solomon's servants. The children of Solomon's servants. Look at verse 65. The governor, the governor. King Jimmy says the Tereshatha. If you're reading King Jimmy, I'm reading a new King Jimmy, but if you're reading King Jimmy, it says the Tereshatha. That means governor. I like that name better. Tereshatha. Kind of sounds scary, too, though, not it a little bit. Tereshatha. Who are you? The Tereshatha. <laughs> oh, I am the Tereshatha. <laughs> the Tereshatha means governor. And notice that they should not eat of the most holy things till they consult with the priest and the Urim and the Thurum in verse 65. Interesting, the Urim or the Urim and the Thurum uh, was still something that's functioning in the priesthood. Now, what is it? Uh, it's located behind the breastplate. There's a pouch on the priest's garment and in that pouch has two stones. Urim, U-R-I-M, means lights. And thumen, actually it's thumen, means perfection. Lights and perfection. And what are they? And what are they used for? We do not know. No one knows. Some people think the stones were black and white and they would glow. If you wanted to know something from God, it was a yes. The white stone would glow. And if it was a no, then the black stone would glow. It's all kinds of things around as to what these really are. Truth is, nobody really knows, and when we get to heaven, you know, you can ask God, you know, could you elaborate on that urine-thorn thing? Um, I'd like to know. And actually, for the Christian, we don't really care, because, uh, I mean, that didn't count quite right, but... What I'm saying is that we have the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us in all truth. And if you need to know something, then you just ask the Lord and he's going to lead you to his truth and and purpose and plan for your life and and for your situation. So uh, we we don't look to rocks and stones and cards and people reading our palms and all this stuff here. If Christians are doing that stuff, stop it. It's not good. You don't need that. You have the Holy Spirit living with us. Ask Him, because those people are just going to take your money and tell you, you know, you need some lotion. (laughs) Okay, so look at verse 66. The whole congregation together was 42,360, and as you look through the list of names, it doesn't look very interesting, but the thing that you want to know is the good shepherd knows his sheep. That's what I have written in my margin. The good shepherd knows his sheep. So the Bible tells us there's 42,360 of them. Jesus knows each one of them by name. We may get bored with reading the names, but God knows their names. He knows who served him and what way they served him. He knows the things that people did that other people wouldn't even take note of. He knew which ones were priests and which ones were Levites. He knew which ones were worship leaders and which ones were helpers. He knew which ones were descendants of Solomon's servants. God knows. Psalm 139. Fourteen. Can y'all turn there quick? Turn quick. Turn real quick. Let me hear the pages. 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 Psalm one thirty nine. And look at verse. uh, Love. Oh, this is really a great, great, great psalm for you to just kind of read and meditate on. God knows is what we're talking about. Look at verse fourteen or thirteen. Look at verse thirteen. For you, you, you formed. That word form is in the Hebrew is knitted. You knitted my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows right well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed and in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious are your thoughts to me, O God, and how great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. I love this Oh, that you would slay the wicked. Depart from me. Therefore, you bloodthirsty men, for they speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred, and I count them my enemies. Now, God, after having said all that, search me. <laughs> lot of words, a lot of words. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. Some of your Bible says thoughts. And see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. God knows every heart, every situation. God knows every individual. God knows what you do and why you do it. God knows the very hairs on your head. And notice in verse 66, 442,360, we also have to include the servants, and verse 67 tells us 42,360 beside men and female servants, then there's another 7,337 of them, and then you add the choir, 245 men, that's the choir, 245 men and women, in verse 68, God knows everything, Even their horses, 736. Their mules, 245. Their camels, 435. Their donkeys, 6,720. And in verses 70, through seventy-three, So the walls are complete, the work is finished. Remember I told you in the ancient world, walls represented salvation of God, protection from the enemy, and separation from the world. And a city without walls had no defense and no protection from the enemy. And now there's a sense of security and safety and even a sigh of relief as the walls are completed. And although Nehemiah has finished the physical walls of the city... Now Nehemiah has to rebuild the lives of the people and that's what chapter 8 is all about and it's very, very interesting and I want you to make sure that you're here for chapter 8 because chapter 8 is the beginning of a revival in the nation. It's so important that I wanted to leave it to its own chapter as many people study these two chapters together, chapter 7 and chapter 8, they usually study them together. I wanted to leave chapter 8 individually let it stand by itself because chapter 8 and chapter 9 is a period of not just reform but there's general genuine weeping and genuine brokenness before God and as you study church history a signature listen are you listening a signature of revival and awakening and a true move of God is not speaking in tongues and miracles and signs and wonders although that has happened in church history as you study the various revivals, but a sign of a true revival is repentance, is repentance. And when you look at the revivals throughout history, like Pentecost, Peter and Paul, uh, the Reformation with Martin Luther and Calvin and Swingley, and the First Great Awakening with Wesley and Edwards and the Second Great Awakening and the General Awakening with Charles Finney and the 1904 revival, uh, Azusa Street revival uh, with uh, Evan uh, Roberts and, and the baby boomers of Chuck Smith out in California and, and, and all of these revivals, we, we see a revival even at Bridge Fest, for example. I'm gonna be speaking at Bridgefest, um, you can pick up one of the cards and the information out in the lobbies, and, and I'll be speaking at Bridgefest in Ocean Grove, New Jersey. There in Ocean Grove, New Jersey, uh, that, that area was a revival had taken place in the 1800s. It's a very historical area, and all of the homes are very Victorian, uh, very beautiful, right there on the ocean, but right there uh, in Ocean Grove, a revival, Asbury Park is right next to it. Well, in the 1800s, a revival had taken place there, and people were getting saved, and people were giving their hearts to Jesus, and an Ocean Grove camp meeting uh, set up a board of which they would have, during the summertime, everyday Bible studies. This is in the 1800s. Every day they would have Bible studies, and, and, and the Word of God was being taught, and um, this was established back then. It was a great revival in that area. And it's unfortunate what we see has happened in Asbury Park right next to it. It's very unfortunate. But I'll be speaking for the Ocean Grove Camp Meeting Association in June in conjunction with Bridge Fest, as they know that I'm going to be there for Bridge Fest. So they've asked me to speak for the, the Camp Meeting Association, which was established in the 1800s. So the pulpit I'll be preaching from had was established in the 18 that's some serious history. And great men of God, I feel so humbled to be asked to preach there like me. It's just an honor to be able to stand in the same place that like Robbie, Robbie Zacharias and David Jeremiah has preached there and Charles Stanley has preached there. And great, 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 great preachers of old have preached from that pulpit. And, and honestly, and, and maybe, maybe somebody would agree, we need a revival in our country right now. We need a revival. The walls are torn down. The, the walls are torn down, there's drug addiction, there's cancer, there's sickness, there's pregnancy, and a teenage pregnancy, and abortion, and broken relationships. We certainly need a revival.
0: You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time.